Hey, this is Pablo Gonzalez with the Chief Executive Connector podcast, and this is not my usual intro because this is not my usual episode. Now, usually I am bringing you people that are in my network that I've already met, and I am showing you what I've learned from them and what I admire and how I got them to connect with me. But this episode is one of two that I did with my buddies, Josh and Eric, who organize an amazing event called PodMax. Now, PodMax is this one-day workshop where they bring in all these podcasters to help them gather up interviews and launch their podcasts together and also train people and show them how to be good guests on podcasts. It's an awesome event. Eric and Josh are my bros, so I'm calling this a special bronus. And I want to recommend you, if you are thinking about using podcast as a strategy to grow your business, whether as a guest or as a host, to check out PodMax. I'm going to link it in the bio. Now, for me personally, this was a great experience because I got to meet these two super fascinating guys in Rick and Tom, which I think you'll really enjoy. And I got to practice the art of having a conversation with somebody who I'd never met before and who I'd never known anything about prior to speaking with them. I hope you enjoy this because I sure did. And I once again encourage you, go to podmax.co and check out their next event. You won't regret it. Ralph Waldo Emerson said, In my walks, every man I meet is my superior in some way. And in that, I learn from him. This means every single person you ever interacted with has done something slightly different than every single other person and therefore has something to teach you. And you, my friend, have something to teach them. This means every conversation you have is both a chance to learn something and a chance to make an impact. Every networking event or conference you walk into is both a library and your stage. Your network is your personal Google and you are a part of everyone's Wikipedia. My name is Pablo Gonzalez, and I am your Chief Executive Connector. Follow me as we meet people in my walks. Find out what we can learn from them, what they've learned from others, and what made them want to connect so you can learn to gain and give value to others in all your interactions. I am terrible at asking for stuff, but if you want to do me a favor, subscribe to the podcast. Let me know what you've learned from each episode, or at the very least, hit me up if I can ever be of service or any kind of value to you. Now, without further ado, let's get connected. Welcome to the Chief Executive Connector podcast. I am your host and Chief Executive Connector, Pablo Gonzalez. And with me today, we have a somebody that I'm dying to get to know a little bit better. I think we're going to have a really interesting conversation. This is a partnership I'm doing with PodMax. And while my usual guests are people that I know and I've networked with and I've gotten to know and how to put them on display, this is more of a exercise in how you get to know someone and how you really get to see their value. And I'm super pumped that they gave me Rick Thigpen to speak to today, who is the Senior Vice President for Corporate Citizenship at the Public Service Enterprise Group, which is the largest public utility in New Jersey. And from what I understand, Rick, you sit in the crossroads of uh, the public sector, the private sector, and kind of like the nonprofit sector, and, 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 you, and you orchestrate those relationships. Is that kind of accurate? Yes. I can make it sound exciting what I do even too. Yes, that's exactly right. So as the senior vice president for uh, corporate citizenship, I have 
primary responsibility for government affairs, and that's at the federal level down to the local level. And a utility, as people know, is in individual homes. So we are extremely local in terms of our politics, as well as national, because climate change and big issues matter. Also in my portfolio is the PSEG Foundation. So I'm involved in making sure that our corporation is engaged with charities, you know, in all the places we do business and is participating and helping make the jurisdictions where we do business better places by engaging in dealing with social problems. And then it is sustainability in what Wall Street now calls ESG, environment, social and governance, the sort of less, less than financial, more intangible issues about how we impact our environment, how we treat people and how we are a corporation that's going to help set the table for a brighter future, not just profits today. So it is a interaction. You know, I deal with a CFO in my business whose job it is to pay attention to the money. And I deal with engineers whose job it is to operate. And it's my job to help them make our corporation also human for the customers and the communities we serve because we play a very important role in delivering electricity and gas to people's homes. Very hard to live without electricity. I don't, I don't even want to think about it, man. <laughs> Listen, I, you know, in my past, I have been, as I, as I intimated to you before we started this, this interview, right? I've been the director. Of, I, I had a green building consulting company. I was director of sustainability for a hospital builder and a pub, and a university builder and public project builder. And I also led the corporate social responsibility initiatives for that company. Well, I was an yeah. international conglomerate out of, out of Madrid also, but I start all my interviews, Rick, because this is kind of an exercise in how you connect with people and how you learn from others with this thesis that I have that the quickest way to connection is adding value to someone's life. They connect with you. And also if they can share a vulnerability with you, that it, it makes you immediately approachable to someone. So I always ask my guests for the for our friend that's listening right now, we're in their ear. Um, for you to share something that you're struggling with right now, so that so that they can they can feel the human side of you, and then and then we'll talk about all these amazing things that you've accomplished and what you're working on. Ooh, so you know, success in my life has taught me to put up walls that so you don't show your human side to people. So that's a tough question. So, all right, so I'm going to go for it. So I am uh, a African American, and now the senior African American in this corporation. I come from a family of people who are active in politics. My grandparents were immediately from the up from slavery world. And my success has been about uh, equality and helping people move forward. So now I find myself in corporate America. It's a very different experience for me. It's one where you have to focus on not losing your soul, but also having the confidence that you could contribute in a foreign land, if you could forgive that analogy, you can understand it a little bit. And it's a big challenge, self-confidence, that you believe in yourself even though a lot of people around you don't think you belong. Self-confidence that you have a story to tell that's as valuable as anybody else's and that you can add to a corporation's success, even like others, even though you're in a, a non-traditional person for that world. So, and then in the world of George Floyd, uh, who are you? Are you here just to help the corporation make money? Or are you here to be a part of the story of your own people and a part of your story of making your own country greater, which brings you into conflict with lots of people who don't see the future the way you do. And are you, forgive me for saying this, man enough to stand up and do what you believe is right? Or are you gonna go along to get along? So those are some of the things I struggle with every day. Man, that's beautiful. 
uh, you know, just on a <laughs> on a micro level that immediately attached me to you, right? Like I am, I am somebody that's grown up as, like I just told you, I'm the most American person in my family. My my first formative memory is not being the only kid in preschool that didn't speak English, right? So like, yeah. I, I have felt like that outsider insider for a long time. And my mission is to prove that community creation is the future of business development because I went at one point in my career, I wanted to change people's behaviors so that we could be more sustainable and, and prevent this like looming thing that's happening with climate change. And at one point I realized, I don't know if I can solve that because I'm not a technologist, but I know that the world is going to densify. And if we can't prove to people the value of the other being more valuable than the fear of the other, then then, then, then we're in trouble, right? So that's that's what I'm working on these days. And, and I hear a lot of that in what you're saying, right? You as as an outsider, so so, can you describe to me how you are an outsider to the corporate world? How do you how did you get into the corporate world um, and get to this, you know, lofty position where you are right now? So through politics, a, a, an unusual course. Like I said, my father was engaged in politics, so I grew up in a world. First off, Pablo, before I go forward, I want to say I admire you also. I love traveling and seeing the world. And I spend as much time outside the country as I can, which is not nearly enough. And I know the complexity and how small you feel when you don't understand the culture, let alone the language. And you don't know the cultural references of Jekyll and Hyde or this or that or baseball and how much it makes you feel like an outsider. So to conquer that and to, and to achieve like you are is something I genuinely admire. And in fact, I find how much better our country is because people who come from different cultures and different perspectives come here and bring that perspective with them. So I truly admire what you're doing. I mean that. Thanks, our country is a better place because of, of our diversity. And that's something I take to my soul. Amen, brother. I, I appreciate it. Yeah, so having said that, so corporate America is a challenge, right? I come from the world of politics. I grew up in a household where my father had a focus, two focuses. One was in New Jersey, to elect the first African-American congressman. And second off is to pursue civil rights, to pursue the world of equality, because you know what? We're as good as anybody else. It's about your brains and your character, your, your determination, your motivation. It's not about your demographics. But unfortunately, that's a journey to be proven in America. It's not assumed. And there is great strength in proving that and proving to people just what we have to offer. And so I walk into a company where I am aware of the company's past. I'm aware of the role of people who look like me in, in terms of having difficulties in the past. And more importantly, that our future success is going to be about being politically wise, not only engineering wise, shall we say. And so I bring a brand new perspective, but I'm blessed with a leader who understands that that new perspective is going to be part of the mix of making the corporation successful going forward. Because New Jersey, like Florida, is the land of the immigrant. For the last, over the last 100 years, more than one in five people in the state of New Jersey were born outside the country. So New Jersey is a state constantly turning over, full of diversity, full of internationalism. And, and those people are called our customers. So our ability to succeed as a business is the ability to succeed with your customers in the communities they live in. And the corporation needs ambassadors to, you know, get out there and to interact with the other communities. You know, our world is a little different than cosmetics or sneakers, right? And that 
you're not going to another electric provider. I'm gonna buy my electricity from somebody else, Rick. I don't want public service to deliver to my house. That's not the option. The option is to make public service be a community provider that people can believe in. And that's how we succeed. And so having voices of Pablo Gonzalez and others come out of my mouth inside the corporation is my job, but I can assure you that comes with conflict and not everybody wants to hear those outside voices coming in. And some people think that to make America great again is to suppress diversity and not to embrace it. And that's a challenge that we are going to prove people that they're wrong, that the future is about embracing diversity, not suppressing it. And that voices like yours, I'll use, use it, you know, forgive me, are voices to be heard and benefited from, not to be taught how to be like us. And that is unfortunately a very complicated question, but it's a, a component of our business's success. So doing it the right way occupies my mind quite a bit. I'm very humble in that I don't think I've mastered this topic at all, but it's a journey worth taking. I think it was really well explained what you're up to, right? Like the 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 value of incorporating when you have the charge of an ingrained customer base that can't go anywhere else, you have this great power that comes with great responsibility, right? And it is how you how you serve these folks that you have been, you know, given the privilege to serve, right? Like, like I, 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 I very much believe in service, right? I believe human beings are happiest when they're in service and, and it is, and it is a privilege to serve others. You mentioned something to start here that said that your path to success has taught you to, to put up walls, right? To, 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 to have those have those barriers of connection. Can Absolutely. you kind of tell me how you learned that? Like how, how, did, how did that come upon you to the, the need for walls and, and maybe reflect on, are you moving more towards having walls? Or are you moving towards getting away from walls and breaking down those walls and, and, and how that, that growth so pattern is going for you? The walls are a tactic of survival. You know, when I travel the world, one of the things I notice is the enormous human effort put into protecting themselves from other humans. And you see in Spain, the castles built, unbelievable amount of effort put in to protect themselves. And then the world of politics, you know, personal secrets are ammunition to be used against you. So I've learned to be careful that there are people who are your friends and there are people who are, who are your professional friends, you know, and the old cliche, it's only your friends who can reveal your secrets because only they know them. And so it's taught me to be very careful about uh, revealing myself. I am in, in some degree, a foreign land in corporate America, and not everybody wants me there. And I'm mindful that there is a role. You know, my parents grew up in a world where they were taught as African-Americans, your job is to work twice as hard and to be twice as good to go to be half as successful as your counterparts. And our world is of projecting a image of who you are, but not allowing the majority to really know what's inside your heart and your mind because too many people want you to stay in your place and not to be a force for equality and change. And in fact, if you're gonna be that force, you need to be removed or contained. 
So it is a survival tactic. It's one meant to create opportunity and to prevent conflict so that we can focus on more professional missions than the power struggle over whether or not change is good or not, or whether or not. Can can I stop you real quick? Do you agree with that statement? Do you agree with that statement that you are more powerful by withholding your secrets and not your power? Like what you just said, do you agree with that? I don't know. I agree that I've done it. I agree that in certain forums with people who have power or beyond my influence, they're not going to be changed by my candor. And I grew up in a world where that habit has been ingrained in me. I'm also a lawyer by training. I don't think I talked about that. And that taught me to think before I speak, among a few other things, I hope. Mm-hmm. And then whether or not that is the right tactic is open for debate. It, is, it has been my tactic. And I'm getting older and I have a little bit of success where maybe it's time to tell my story. I have a voice in my head that says, nobody wants to hear your story, Rick. Don't tell your story. Nobody's listening. But there is something to be said in certain forums, you know, revealing who I am. Yeah. And if, and if you'll indulge me for a second, I'd love to have a conversation about it, right? Like I, I believe that we're going, you know, there's this theory of human evolution, not human, human nature and how we go through these cycles um, and they correspond to these like four generations, right? Like this, I got this out of Robert Greene's um, Laws of Human Nature, right? And there's, there's like 11th century Islamic scholar that proposed that we go through these four cycles. That four generations, four cycles. Four generations, which which are one cycle, right? Like four four periods in a cycle, right? So it starts off with a revolutionary generation, right? A, a The world is in chaos, and these visionary leaders show up with these big visions and, 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 and rhetoric that can unify people and get them to go through this big struggle. The following, that's where the George Washingtons of the world come out, right? Um, the, the following generation is so marked by that struggle that they're driven for coexistence. They're driven to like establish societal norms that we can all get along. Then the next generation is so removed from that struggle that they think, okay, everybody's getting along. Why can I? Why can I get me a little peace of mind? Right? It's a little bit more individualistic, a little bit more materialistic. And then a fourth generation comes around and says, "We've lost our way. Everybody's too materialistic. We need a revolution." And the revolutionary generation comes around again, right? And and to me, when I when I think of that, and you know, he's got examples all the way from the Greeks through today, right? And I think that we're very clearly in that fourth period, right? We're we're very clearly in this like transition period where we can either go towards a revolution or towards an enlightenment period, right? And, and, we're, and we're trying to figure out this big transition in mass communication where all of a sudden everybody has a microphone, all of a sudden access to information is, is there, right? There are no more, I, I guess what I'm trying to say is, I think we're trying to figure out how to live in a world that has no more secrets, right? Like, like it's, it's getting more and more hard to, to keep a secret. And therefore my theory is that authenticity is the highest form of currency right now. And if you can, and if, and if you can lie with your, with your, with your darkness and, and with your secrets and, 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 and be yourself at uh at scale, you know, obviously not like an unrelenting self, right. But like to be authentic at all times, you take the power from, from that older mentality of power over and you now become like a power with kind of mentality. So, I see, I see where you stand and, and you, uh, you know, I want to get into your, 
intergenerational knowledge of coming from grandparents that were in the slave trade as as you as you just referenced and and how that marks everything but when i say i guess i guess i just want to lob that up to you and like i i just said a bunch of crap <laughs> yeah. and and i want to hear your reaction to that okay so first off for me personally four generations ago i have relatives born in slavery who i knew of and relatives who own slaves, who I have no contact, no knowledge of whatsoever, but I carry their name to this very day. I've never met one of, of a person of European descent related to me, even though if you look at my face, it's right here. Mm-hmm. So four generations for me goes from slavery to today, right? And in between were relatives who grew up in a fair amount of poverty to the opportunities to embrace the American dream and to have opportunity that I have today that my grandparents, may they rest in peace, could never have contemplated. And my father, born in 1925, who's my departed father, I'll never forget, who would have ever dreamed, Rick, we'd see an African-American president of the United States. Never, never could imagine it happen, right? So progress is there. There is an opportunity for us to have a brighter future together, right? Um, the willingness of people to hear your story and to listen to the, you know, the messages from your own story are limited in America. There's some people listen, you know, I always feel like if I get more important and more famous, the people want to listen, but nobody wants to hear your story today. They don't want to hear your stuff. They want you to do it their way. They don't want to hear your story. Yeah. So um, here we are today, right? I'm a history buff. This liberation struggle, I'm not too sure the words you use, is not new. It happened before the Civil War. It happened after the Civil War. It happened at the end of the, of the 19th century. It happened during the 20th century. Now, here we are in the 21st century, here, and we're at it again. And, there, and as my mother said to me, Rick, I remember, I thought the world was going to be better for you when you grew up. I'm going to say the same thing to my daughters. I just had twins a year ago, one year old. I'm going to say the same thing to them. I hope the world is better for you. And the world was better for me than when my mother grew up. She went to Howard University in segregated Washington, D.C., when because of the color of her skin, there were many places she couldn't go. And to take the train from New Jersey, she had to sit in the colored-only car once it left the state of New Jersey, right? So I didn't have that experience. I got to go to an Ivy League school, in fact, completely out of her reach, but because of them, I've been able to make progress. But I'm going to say to my daughters, I hope that the world is better for you than it was for me and that your skin color will have no bearing on your opportunity. It's going to be about your character, your talent, your work ethic. So the world is moving forward. I am, I am definitely an optimist. But this struggle continues for all of us. And whether it's you in Jacksonville or me in beautiful Newark, New Jersey, um, we all have a role in this struggle of making the world better for all of us, right? And um, it's quite a struggle and it's going to go on a lot longer. You know, I'm into politics and polling and public opinion is still revealing to me that the status quo is what it is because of enormous public support for it. It's not here by accident. Yeah, no, I believe it. And yeah, and it's not going to change overnight because some people's minds will not change. And I live in a world where I'm being taught every day 
there's millions of Americans who hate you because you're African-American. They fear you. They think you need to be complained by violent police tactics. They don't want you living in their neighborhoods. They, they think that it's unfair when you get equal opportunity. And that's a world we're gonna to have to get out of in order to, to realize the real American dream and the greatness this country has inside of it. And how we do that, I wish I was the expert. I wish I knew better. I'm trying to do my own little piece. I'm trying to be open to change, right? Open to diversity, which is a personal journey to be open to different people and to want to learn from people who grew up in Venezuela, not like, oh God, you're from there. Well, then you need to learn how to eat hot dogs and watch American baseball, right? And become one of us, right? That's not how America got where it is today. But there's a lot of people who think that's how America should get, you know, I'm sorry, should go forward. So that is a, you know, so we have lots of challenges. There is many rivers for us to cross together. And that is also true in corporate America as well. Um, there are many rivers to cross for people to have real equality of opportunity and real brotherhood and sisterhood. And there are many rivers to cross, and you're crossing some yourself for businesses to engage with their communities and their customers and for their success to be mutual, not exclusive of the success of the people they serve. And that is part of my job, is to build partnerships and to have our success be the success of our customers in the state of New Jersey. And not everybody has that mentality. And, then every, and some people think, no, no, our success is making our shareholders wealthy alone at the expense of others. But that's not sustainable success, as you know, because people don't volunteer to be taken advantage of. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> I don't raise my hand to say, yes, exploit <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want you to win and me to lose. Let's let's do this. I'm not a volunteer, right? So <laughs> yeah. it's very so then, but then the other side is for me in corporate America, the business has necessities in order to succeed, and we have to mind for those necessities. Having the business fail is not success in any way for me. It's a successful business that's success. And so striking that balance of listening to the engineers, listening to the finance people, but also listening to the customers in the communities we serve is what it's about. And striking that right balance is a trick, but excluding any of those pieces is a mistake. I agree. I agree, man. And I think that that's a really, that's a really good definition of a market, right? Like it's like what put in all the variables of what you're trying to serve and then figure out the best uh, mixture of how you can achieve that. But it is erroneous to think that you should eliminate a variable just because it doesn't serve the original thing that you wanted in, in the mix, right? It's all about creating that framework and then trying to find the best bullseye. And listen and, to you. I got to listen to your point of view. Yeah. I don't have to like it, but I got to listen to it and try to compromise with it. Agreed, man. And, and that's, that to me creates a really good segue in one of my favorite topics and what I, what I speak about the most on stages. And it's how to network and how to build relationships. And I have to assume that you're a beast at it, <laughs> right? Like if you're a, if you're a lawyer or politician and now in the, in the world that you are, can you tell me how you began kind of building, how, how, how you kind of started building your network to get to where you are and, and, and how you approach networking and, and the things that have worked for you. If, if you think about well, that. I can all. look back at it like so many things and, and I'm a parent. I did my best at something I had a passion for. So the answer is yes, I know lots of people and 
one of the reasons I'm in this job today is because I've developed a reputation for some honesty and integrity and that people think that I'm up to good, not no good. So I can also look back and that I have spent more hours on the street, making more friends, doing more networking over the years than by far your average person. And that's one of the reasons I'm here today, right? Find your passion and invest your time in it. And I invested an enormous amount of time with building relationships. So I live in New Jersey and I already said this to you, I love to travel. I genuinely love diversity on a global perspective, not just the diversity we talk about politically. It's a fabulous world out there. So many different cultures, so many different people with different perspectives, so much character, so much integrity, so much ability out there that the ability to appreciate it has been the, uh, one of my biggest gifts. And I also have an older daughter and I've passed that gift on to her. We travel the world together every chance we get because there's so much to learn out there and there's so many cultures where we benefit. Um, so I learned, I love to hear people's stories. I love to meet people who are different than me. I love the debate of ideas without getting personal. I can disagree with you without saying, you know, you're wrong and I'm right, right? And it's a great thing. And then I have respect for people, right? I, you know, my parents raised me. Sometimes it's an, a handicap. Sometimes it's a blessing to be kind to other people. A very simple lesson, the golden rule. How about that one? And it's, so having passion for networking, believing in the golden rule, putting enormous amount of time into it, loving to learn from diversity have been keys for it for me. And it's really helped me. There's no way I would be where I am today without that passion for networking, and without building relationships with all different types of people around the state of New Jersey and beyond in Washington and beyond. And it is something that I would encourage people to think very seriously about. Networking is what it's all about. I did not get the job I have today by going online and applying for it. That was a part of the process, but it was people knowing who I am and thinking that I had something to offer that created the opportunity for me. And that's what's going to happen for people out there by being engaged, by being visible, spending nights out of the house, too many nights, frankly, going to events, talking to people, giving your time to them. It makes all the difference in the world in the long run, but it keeps you away from home too. And that's got its own consequences at times. hundred uh, percent, man. Really well, really well summarized, right? I, I like to kind of reflect on what I hear when, when, when people go so deep into something I love so much. And, and one of the main things I'm hearing, which to me is, is a key to being a good networker and, and clearly a central tenant in your life and in mine and in everybody that I know that it's a good connector is to approach everything with curiosity and wonder, right? Like instead of approaching with judgment, you approach, you approach each judge person. Not you be judged too. There you go. There you go. And, and I always, you know, normally in this part of the podcast, I ask people how we met and what they like about me. And without fail, there's always some combination of, man, you, you just, when I met you, it seemed like you were genuinely interested in me and you seem like a genuine dude. Right. Um, and, and it's kind of reflected in everything you said, right. You approach people with, with curiosity, you listen to them, you hear them out. You're trying to seek out and validate the things that you can agree with or learn from. And I think that's a, and then, and then on top of that, being aligned with your passion, right. I, I, I think I've gotten a lot of success behind in relationship building 
in the fact that there's always something I really, really care about and I really, really want to talk about in general. And I'm happy to have an open, whether it's sustainability or human connection or, or content as a strategy for networking, which is what my big thing is now, right? Like I, I now, I now have stumbled into the idea that, I mean, just, I think it's a fact at this point, right? Like this type of content, right? Like whether it's a radio interview or uh, a video of yourself to me is networking on steroids, right? Like every, what we're about to do, what we're doing right now is recording an interaction that I can now chop up into different tiny pieces and plant as seeds everywhere. And everybody that likes what I like about you is now able to do that without you being around and you're able to build these like frictionless relationships. Right. So I just went down my own little rabbit hole there, but you know, you know, the, the, the idea of approaching with curiosity, um, valuing what people have to say, uh, to me is, is a real, um, fundamental aspect in success in, in building relationships at scale. And then guys like me and you, there's that double-edged sword that we're so into like finding out about everybody that, yeah, that means it takes you away from the people that you already know for a certain amount of time and people that are most, how do you know? Family. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. The, the most important people, right? Listen, I walk that line all the time, right? Like I've been at, I, that's a line that I try to, that I struggle with, right? Like how much do I give to, to others versus the people that I know already are there and, and already need me? Do you have kind of a, any kind of like steadfast rule or system on how you, on how you walk that balance of, of, of giving to the people that need you versus the people that may need you. Ooh, that's it. So I have a wife and three daughters. Uh, it is the height of folly when you don't put family first, even though there's always constant professional uh, uh, pressure to do exactly that. But your children first, there is nothing more satisfying than investing and spending time with your children. So that's a absolute period, children, children, children. And your nobody, that's a little strong. If you don't really have time for your children, no matter how successful you are in my, in, in Rick's personal book. So that's very important. So I don't have hard and fast rules. It's a constant trying to balance. You know, I can work on politics and networking 26 hours a day and still not have, you know, done near enough, right? And so it's a constant balance. I don't think I have a simple, hard and fast rule, except there, if you neglect your family, you are making the biggest mistake in your life. And when the chips are down, you know, I make the joke, people work on coming to your wake, but your family is, right? And you need to, to prioritize. And it's hard to be, even if you're successful at work, you're not really happy if you're not successful at home at the same time. So that's not a great answer, but that's it's certainly in my mind. I don't have hard and fast rules, but I learned some hard lessons. I'm not 25 anymore. Family first. Yeah, I got you, man. It, was, hey, it wasn't an easy question, right? <laughs> but what I'm hearing is, you know, 10, you know, make sure that you, that you spend time on that foundation that you need, right? Like, like you are, you, yeah, yeah. And that's great, man. All right. So this is the part of my usual interview where I go into a lightning round. Are you, you think you're ready for this? <laughs> right. Pow, 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 pow. All right. What, Rick, what is your favorite restaurant? Where is it? And what's the order that you get there? Yikes. My favorite restaurant. How about Vonda's Kitchen in Newark, New Jersey, which is soul food. Back to my roots, my my North Carolina rural grandparents, who the my grandmother was the best cook on the earth. And I think that would be it, soul food. And I think Vonda's Kitchen would be the premier choice at this point. What's your go-to order there? 
Ooh, fried chicken, collard greens, and candied yams. There you go. Black man. peas and rice are hard to pass up to. My mouth's watering already. What is what's what what type of content are you most into right now? And this could be um, a book that you really like right now that you recently read, a podcast that you're listening to that you're really into, um, or even just like the your Netflix and chill du jour that you're watching. So I have two loves, history and world politics. I love the geography in the world and understanding why things are happening in different places. So I'm constantly reading American history, um, primarily. I have lots of history loves, but constantly reading American history. Um, it's funny, I, I'm, you know, reading books these days is hard. It's funny, I just watched a show on HBO, which I rarely watch shows, called Lovecraft Country, that both brings in a taste of African-American cultural history in America, as well as a little science fiction and stuff. And, you know, constant reminders of the courage of my ancestors, the struggle they've endured, and the gift they've given me uh, that it's my responsibility to take and build upon. I find history books or, or culture or TV shows that help remind me of just how, how important my role is in the grand scheme. I find those invaluable. And I'm here for a purpose. I am both a child of an African diaspora as well as a descendant of unknown, unseen Europeans. And I am fully American until I married my wife who was born in Turkey. I have nothing but American in my family, nothing. Although that's not true, it's just a matter of how far you go back, but that history has been concealed from us. So it, you know, so it's, you know, pride in your history, pride in your journey and, and you know, play your role, son. And you're, and I'm a child of the African diaspora. We're part of making America better than it's ever been before. And the more I understand about that, the better. And I read about it all the time in different ways, but that's just touching it. I also could talk about Hong Kong and I could talk about learning about that in Singapore. I, you know, I could talk about Lima, Peru and the fabulous things I saw and learned there and the slave castles in Ghana. And there's nothing that can match the history of ancient Egypt. So I could, I, I, there's so many of those things I, I, I read. So, so instead of giving you one, I gave you a little. Uh, I love it, man. What's, what's one good, really good American history book that you've, that you've read recently, just title and, and author? Black Reconstruction in America by W.E.B. Du Bois is perhaps the best history book I have ever read. It's a tremendous story of how America emerged from its civil war and began to lay the foundation for the America that we know today. And I, I could put no history book above that one. So that one, I'd start there. And, and if you'd warn me, I'd bring a few others. You know, uh, there's so many uh, interesting history books out there. Awesome. Awesome. What is something that you were sure about in your 20s that you no longer believe? <laughs> oh, God. Um, ooh, things that I was sure about in my 20s that I no longer believe. I was sure that I was going to live forever in my 20s, and I no longer believe that. I would start there. That one has hit home hard, frankly, to tell you the truth. When, when does that hit home? Like what, what, what well, age? I turned 60. Okay. So it, I can't, it didn't hit home before that, but that number has, it has hit home for me. I'm not going to live forever. I now recognize that everyone out there, and that that is a very sobering thought that triggers all kinds of other thoughts in you. So that's very important, and that's you know, you're mortal, you're human. 
and your time in this earth is limited and your ability to make an impact, you know, at 25, you think it's going to be easy. It ain't easy. And your ability to make an impact in this world is very hard and you've got to pick your target well and you got to work at it. And, you know, at 25, you just don't know those things. You think you know a lot more. You know, at this age, I know how little I knew at 25. I seemed like a very sophisticated adult when I was 25, but that was not actually the case. Yeah, I, uh, I can empathize with that, man. And, and may I say that you look fantastic for 60, my friend. I thought you were like 45 or something like that. Keep talking. Uh, there is a, you know, there's a bunch of data that shows that uh, the closer the closer your mortality is to you, the happier you are, right? Because it kind of like fills you with with purpose and and perspective of just like if you know you're gonna die, it kind of keeps things in in perspective, right? Like that was another one of these things I learned in that laws of human nature, and the societies that kept death very present tended to be really happy societies counterintuitively, right? Every day is to be enjoyed. Yeah, hundred percent. Because tomorrow is promised to no one. Every day is to be enjoyed because tomorrow is promised to no one. Rick, how can people, if somebody, our friend that just listened to you right now and thinks you're brilliant, how can they, how can they connect with you? What's the best way to, to reach out to you? Well, if they think I'm brilliant, <laughs> right. So I guess I'll start with a phone number. 973-430-6400 is my office phone number. My email is rick.thigpen, R-I-C-K, Rick can spell rick.thigpen, T like Thomas, H I G like George, P like Peter E N at P S E G dot com, public service enterprise group. Rick dot thickpen at P S E G dot com. All right. I'll link that. I'll link that in the show notes. You're the first guy that gave out his phone number of anybody I've interviewed. So that's, yeah, right. that's pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> that's awesome, man. You know, somebody may like me. Right? <laughs> you never know, man. Hey, I'll give you a call, buddy. You never know. You're right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and th- my last question that I always ask everybody is where do you find community? Well, certainly at home, and certainly I am a child of Essex County, New Jersey. My, I am from East Orange, New Jersey, so there's geographic community. There is my family community, and I have two brothers. One lives in Maryland, one lives in California. And then I find community in that I grew up in the African-American community. I am an African-American, and that's whether you like it or not, Rick. And I find community in my community, people who... who I have shared uh, my culture and my family's struggles and people who understand it. I think I start there, but I have community in so many different areas too. I'm a St. Louis Cardinals baseball fan. I find a little community there. I am, like I said, a history buff. So I find community in history and people who love history. I am a uh, real lover of travel and I find community there as well. Awesome. Rick, uh, you know, this was, this is really enjoyable, man. I, I want to acknowledge you for stepping up here, being genuine. I, I think we tackled some, some topics that were not easy to communicate as well as you have. And it's, and it's obvious why you have this position. I applaud the, the charge that you have been given and it feels like they put the right guy in place, right? Like I think somebody that's driving that nexus of authenticity got me fired or not today, Pablo, but we'll, we'll, we'll see. cross our fingers on that. TBD. Yeah. Listen, man, if it did, it's only going to open up an opportunity for somewhere that you're better integrated with quite I'm frankly. Jacksonville, so I'm warning you. Okay. <laughs> I got you, bro. I got you. We could use you here, man. So anyways, thanks. Thanks a lot, man. It's been really enjoyable. Thank you so much. I, it's really a pleasure to meet you. And I actually appreciated your story as well. You made me do my own little thinking about my travels and how uh, my past have crossed with people who told similar stories to yours. 
So thank you. All right. I hope you enjoyed that conversation right there as much as I did. Listen, Connect with Pablo is a content marketing community creation agency. The bottom line is that if you can start creating content that can give value to your customers or audience while creating strategic relationships through it, you can have a content machine that allows you to tell the story of your business through the value you are creating while gathering people together. If you're curious about that or know someone who could be, please shoot me an email at you should at connectwithpablo.com or hit me up on Instagram or LinkedIn through the profiles tagged in the show notes. If you just want a quick pick me up and some tactical advice right before walking into a room full of strangers, go to connectwithpablo.com, watch the five minute video about how to walk into a room and not feel like you're all alone and or download the little cheat sheet on how to do just that. I have a lot of my friends that I've done networking with me for a long time tell me that they love watching that thing and carrying it around when they're walking into a networking event or they're walking into a conference or sometimes even if you're just walking into a wedding and you don't know anybody, right? It has a lot of use for it. I invite you to check it out if you need it. I really hope you stick around, connect with me and start leaning into finding value in others and feeling like you have value to give yourself. It'll make the world a better place. I promise. Until the next episode, I am Pablo Gonzalez, your Chief Executive Connector.